0: On the record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PWC on News Talk. Now, last week, the German artist Gunter Demnig arrived in Ireland for the laying of six new Stolpersteine. What are Stolpersteine, I hear you ask? We'll get to that in just a second. They are something of an international commemorative project. They are stumbling stones. That's what the word means in German. Stumbling stones, which are found in more than 1,200 towns and cities across Europe. And this week, for the first time, six of them have come to Dublin. So what is this whole commemorative project? And why is it considered controversial in some cities? Well, Donald Fallon has been brushing off his finest German-Anglo dictionary to to give us the whole lowdown on what all this means. And he's coming to studio. Donald, great to see you, as ever. Um, Stolpersteine might be a new word to most but chances are if you've been to Germany you might not have even noticed seeing them but you probably have actually seen them Yeah I
1: have ambition Deutsch my Deutsch is not so good and it's getting worse all the time you know uh, that's because <laughs> I don't fine, go though. to Germany too often I go to Berlin a lot but I don't think that's Germany anymore <laughs> but anyway look anyone who's walked the streets of any German city has encountered the Stolpersteine these stumbling stones are beautiful uh, these little brass plaques uh, on the ground honouring uh, Holocaust victims they're kind of 10 centimetre concrete cubes and what they're designed to do is really you know, to make you stop Uh, and to think about what happened at this house, this apartment. And they nearly always begin in the very same way. Here Vona, here lived. And then they give you a, a, a name, often a year of birth, a year of death and a place of death. Okay. Uh, and I suppose they're part of what's become known as, as the, the largest decentralised commemorative project in the world. You find these stones not only in, in, in Germany and Berlin, but in Australia, in France, in Holland, in Italy, you know, right across the continent of Europe. Uh, but now they've arrived in Dublin. And this is kind of unique because generally speaking, you know, they're in countries that lived under kind of fascist occupation or where you had collaborative governments. Mm. Uh, and they tell you, you know, th- this is a house that someone was taken from. From. but in Dublin I suppose they're honouring six people who lost their lives in the Holocaust with connections to Dublin, okay. but who were arrested not, not on the European mainland. Yeah, Not
0: necessarily people who were resident here, which, which is maybe an interesting uh, move which we'll get to in a couple of minutes. First of all, just reverse that back a little bit, a decentralised monument. So basically this idea that instead of having a, a single place that you go to, people might know the Holocaust Memorial in Berlin, that that mass of, of square stacks that are on this kind of contoured ground. Instead of having a single place you go to, that the memorial is everywhere.
1: Yeah, so I, I, I went along to this uh, last Wednesday. It was on the Noor Avenue, which is far from, from, from where I live. And Roderick O'Gorman was speaking, of course, this was outside of a school, uh, St. Catherine's School. And he referred to it as a, as a, as a decentralised monument. And I was like, what does that mean? But yeah, basically, I suppose, what these little monuments do is they they move the focus away. So, you know, a singular site uh, of commemoration, instead of that, you now have remembrance kind of everyday uh, places. So something much broader. And they also don't kind of commemorate one single group in the Holocaust story. So, you know, reflecting the tragedy, of course, the majority on our kind of European Jews. Mm. But if you're walking around the streets of, you know, of, of a city uh, like Berlin, you see them to, you know, Jehovah Witnesses, to Roma, homosexuals, political opponents uh, of the Nazi party. So they really do, they have this very powerful effect. You know, they give you a sense of the scale uh, of, of, of the tragedy, as you walk down one street, you can encounter you know so many of these individual stories.
0: And for something which is very omnipresent now in a lot of German towns and cities, what's impressive is that it does just begin with, with one man's work.
1: And it's not just that it's one one man's work; it's, it's that he's doing it like relatively recently. I mean, he began doing this in 1992. Gunter, wow, Deme, which recent, is, which is amazing, isn't it? And I mean, that was a time when many people in Germany were kind of thinking about the past. Uh, the seemingly unimaginable had just happened. You know, mm-hmm. no one believed they would live to see uh, the Berlin Wall come down. German reunion unification, uh, and, and the Holocaust and its legacy. Look, there had been questions around the Holocaust in both Germany's, of course but you know in, in the DDR and in the Federal Republic the way they commemorated the events or what was emphasised or what was forgotten yeah. was very different. So you know uh, Demnig envisioned a kind of simple way of honouring the human stories in this new Germany by kind of marking their names at the places they have been taken from. And Gunther like he was born in the 1940s he was part of a, a generation who came of age in the 60s and who questioned everything. You know what, what had mummy and daddy done in the war? He discovered mm. that his, his father had been involved in the Luftwaffe, you know, which which he found very troubling. But this was a war in a, in a, in a national yeah. army, you know, so it wasn't that surprising either. So I suppose for him and for the children of those who would taken part in the war for, for for German people like him. You know, there was a lot of questions around what it meant to be German and how Germany should respond to this this issue in its past.
0: Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure that there's some uh, modern echoes in what's going on on the other side of the continent at the moment as well, where people who are participants in a war are maybe not fully understanding or being slightly misled as to the nature of that war or what is at stake or what they are actually doing it for. So not everyone being fully conscious of the the true impact of what they're doing. Um, And these Stoppersteiner, they do, and this is the intention, but but mission accomplished, they really do make you stop. Yeah, it's difficult,
1: you know, not to read the name of someone outside your own apartment, your own building, and, and not ask yourself a question, how could this happen here? You know the place that I leave and go to work every day. Mm. How could someone be dragged away from from this very place? And you know what's interesting about German cities, but uh, uh, Berlin especially comes to mind. A lot of the apartment blocks are very old. I mean, you're literally yeah. walking the same staircases in a lot of cases as, as 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 these people who are taken from these homes. So Dominic got down to work. He installs the first stones uh, in the early nineties without any necessary permissions, no paperwork <laughs> whatsoever. Like it's it's it, it's totally. Uh, it, 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 it's totally illegal technically speaking what he does yeah. in the early 1990s but it, it's quickly it's quickly noticed but in some places it wasn't quickly noticed which is also part of the story it would be some time in some German towns and cities before people stopped and went oh what's that you know on on that street corner but the process behind the Stones is great I mean they're sponsored often by those who live at the site uh, the very modest sum of 120 euros uh, to, to, to have one made and then Gunter Demnig arrives himself and installs the stones but the research you know, and the reaching out to family and people to attend the, 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 the ceremony that's generally done by the sponsor of the stones so okay. there's a community dimension to it kind of uncovering the stories and, and, and the ceremonies mm. uh, themselves it's not like the city council arrives someday and installs one of these things yeah. you know? it's that the residents of an apartment block uh, will discover this story and will, will make this effort this conscious effort to commemorate someone who lived there before them
0: but what a powerful way then to, to re- memorialize those people if you know if it really brings home the idea that someone who lived in your building the most natural everyday place in the world to you someone yeah. was a personal victim of what goes on it's a very powerful way of, of reanimating their story um, not everyone agrees with the installation of these not just on a you know you didn't get permission but there's, there's one German city council that still refuses permission even yeah, to this day
1: Munich city council won't budge on it they're really really hostile to the, to the stones and they maintain that it's not actually about they say it's, you know the opposition is about the form and position of the memorial rather than the process by which Stolpersteine are initiated so they're kind of acknowledging there's there's something good at the heart of this but there's a, a disagreement from Munich city council on, on the way they're placed okay. and there's a kind of argument that it's wrong to position these plaques on the ground, you know that because people are—they're are, they're
0: literally trod underfoot.
1: Yeah, that yeah. people are, are are walking over them, and that it's wrong to walk over these names. So they've got this very interesting thing in Munich where they have these little brass plaques that look almost identical to <laughs> uh but they're on the wall beside a house. Okay. So they've kind of adopted it in their own way, but they're not technically banned in Munich. It's just that the city council won't let you install them on public ground, <laughs> but your know, private ground, if you want to call it that, yeah. you still see them. So you know, in, in in Munich, you may see dozens of them instead of the hundreds or even thousands of them you'd expect to see. Uh, in a German city like, say, Hamburg.
0: Yeah, uh, that sounds like a really Irish solution to an Irish problem. That they're not banned; but we just won't let you put them in. In the same way that Ulysses wasn't banned, but you just <laughs> couldn't get it into yeah. the country in the first place. Um, so then, bring us to Dublin. Then in Dinor Avenue, like you said, and they're unveiling this week. Gunter unveils a number of stones, uh, including some stones which are in tribute to victims that we're only now beginning to learn about.
1: Which is which is amazing, isn't it? I mean, Gunter arrived in, in in Dublin last week, and significantly, I think that reflected the work of a guy called Dr. David Jackson, who who researched Irish victims of the Holocaust. Because for a long time, for many. many many years we believed and historians including me said on record that there was a single Irish born uh, there was a single Irish victim of the Holocaust Eddie Steinberg but Jackson's researchers uncovered others names that were kind of totally unknown here Isaac Shishi whose family came from Lithuania in 1890 he was born in Dublin in 1891 uh, around the corner from where I live 36 St Albans Road by the South Circular Road uh, very sad story. His family went back to Lithuania when he was a boy and they reckon that 90% of Lithuania's Jewish population were murdered in the
0: Holocaust.
1: 90%? Extraordinary. You know, wow. an estimated 210,000 Jews there, uh, anything between 190,000, 195,000 were murdered. Isaac Shishi was a name that just totally fell through the cracks of mm. history in Dublin. Ebrahim uh, and Lena Sachs, two siblings. Again, Lithuania, Family arrive in Dublin 1914. Ebrahim's born in April 1915. Uh, his sister in 1980 and both died in Auschwitz. These were totally unknown names. And and David Jackson, he's made a really good point. He says, look, the archives are becoming available. Things are moving online. It's never been more accessible. And he argues, look, there are potentially, in fact, forget potentially, probably mm. other Irish stories to be found. Other people who were born, uh, especially in, 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 in Dublin, uh, that, that we may find in the future.
0: And what's interesting too is that uh, even for, for these stories that are only now beginning to be uncovered that a lot of those people ended up living in a very small area of Dublin in, in streets that were running yeah. parallel to each other. And if
1: people know that area kind of up by Griffith College to South Circular Road Greenville Terrace St Albans Road Raymond Street I mean these are rows of red brick houses mm. basically running yeah parallel to each other and they unveiled the plaques outside St Catherine's School on, on on Denor Avenue that's where many of the Jewish kids were educated in the absence of a Jewish school they say okay. that 50% of the kids there at any one time were Jewish Sure, oh, wow. amazing Church of Ireland school, fifty percent Jewish, uh, and it seems an Isn't it? What, no, what, what, what an unusual thing in Holy Catholic Dublin in the early twentieth century, you know. But that's where uh, Eddie Steinberg went to school, so it seemed a nice place to put them. But yeah, this area stretching from kind of you know stretching from the South Circular Road across Clumbrassel Street into Portobello, Little Jerusalem. That's a great story. It tells us so much about you know migration. It's not a phenomenon that's in any way new. These people were escaping from you know pogroms in Russia, made their homes in Dublin, uh, and there's only little traces of that community to be found in the area now. But you know these six little stones are, are, are a new part of that story.
0: Yeah, there is still a isn't there a museum or a museum of Irish Jewish history around Portobello somewhere in there? So the, I suppose there is still a, a modern day footprint to, to that population that was there. And, and Gunter uh, now in his seventies but still at it and no plans of slowing down Wait. this project.
1: Which is amazing, isn't it? Absolutely incredible. And he he had tremendous, you know, watching him unveil these stones, tremendous energy about him still. I mean, he feels the work isn't done and there's still places being added to the map. Uh, The first stone was unveiled in the UK. The day before he came to Dublin, he unveiled one in London, uh, in Soho, to a, a young Jewish woman who'd left her London life behind her, trying to help her family flee the continent of Europe. Instead, she perished in Auschwitz. And, you know, we're likely to see a lot more given the the scale of population in Britain and the scale of the migrant story in Britain. I think you'll see a lot more there. But, you know, there's a a lovely line known to every Jewish person in the Talmud. They argue that a person is only forgotten when his or her name is forgotten. And I suppose Mm. Gunter's job is to ensure that these names aren't forgotten. But if there's a tragedy in this, Look, you're never going to honour them all, are you? You know, it's absolutely yeah. impossible mm. uh, to honour each and every victim of the Holocaust in in such a way. But he's done a good job. Everyone, every single one completed by hand, more than 70,000 of them uh, wow. across the continent of Europe, 70,000. So, you know, if you're walking through not just Berlin or Hamburg, but Paris or Rome uh, and you look on the ground, you, those 70,000 stones, Once you once you know of them, they're everywhere. Mm
0: and it's an incredible legacy for one person to leave as well Gunter Demnig who came to Ireland this week to unveil the first six of his Sobbersteiner in Ireland uh, Donald Fallon is the author of the community books and of uh, Henrietta Street From Tenement to Suburbia he's also the presenter of the Three Castles Burning podcast about Dublin history which you'll find anywhere you get your audio online and sure if you can still make your way through all the ads in the RTE player you can probably still watch back his six part <laughs> brainstorm series if, as the he player, hims- if the player works <laughs> as he himself calls it Nationwide for Nerds uh, with a, little, a nice little interesting dive into <laughs> Irish academia and some of the fun things that they're up to uh, in some parts of Ireland's colleges and universities On The Record with Gavin Riley Sunday morning at 11 Brought to you by PwC Combining talent and technology we're hardwired to find solutions It all adds up to the new equation On Talk.